Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Miguel Delaney of The Independent. The cream is rising to the top. Bayern and Borussia Dortmund, Real Madrid and, unforgettably, Barcelona. Can Man City live with them? More to the point, will they get the chance? Can they protect a two-goal lead in Monaco? Now, John, you'll be there. Do you fancy them? I fancy City to get through, but I do think it'll be very, very close. I mean, Guardiola said immediately after the first game, didn't he, that we've got to go there and score because neither team can defend and neither mm. team will be confident in keeping a clean sheet. I was at the game Etihad in the first one and it was one of the best Champions League games. Uh, I've seen the goalposts. Absolutely it? fabulous. It was, I mean, also, if Falcao makes it 3-1, you thinking surely the tie is dead, but then then he has the penalty saved, and it's just astonishing. And it's a topsy turvy, crazy game, incredible attacking threat, incredible play. I thought by 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 Monaco, completely threatened to overwhelm City at times, but it just energised. You know, I would have said it was the best best Champions League game I've seen for years, and and then it gets completely overtaken by by obviously the, the amazing events in the new Camp last week, but. I, I just think it, it re-energised for me the Champions League a little bit. It reminded me just how special this competition is. And we're still at the last 16 stage. I think this year's competition is, is shaping up brilliantly. You're at the Camp Nou. Yeah. <laughs> Give us an indication of the atmosphere within that ground. I'd never seen anything like it. But listen, I've been to that ground before and it's actually, I think it's often very subdued until, until obviously they score or else there's, what you hear the most sound for is a referee's decision. Uh, and then, then you hear all the whistles and that. But usually it's kind of, there's almost an element of kind of waiting to be entertained. But this was completely different. There was like, the crowd were so so part of the event. I mean, you, you saw it after the game with the kind of, the way the players responded. But um, but there was a proper, I mean, I suppose I don't want to be too parochial about it, but it was like a, it was like an English ground or an Italian ground, say, on a Champions League night. There was just that kind of, that real energy to it. And, and I think there was an expectation about it. Because, I mean... At the press conference the day before, I mean, Luis Enrique has obviously had all this criticism and all that, and he's leaving at the end at the end of the season. But the way he spoke about that match in his press, I actually, met, he's like, he's not just saying this, you know, you know, to create or just because he has to. He seems to actually believe, and it kind of made everyone else believe. And I think it, it made the actual everyone around the club and obviously the players believe as well. But uh, yeah, right through the game, it was just. You know, there was such electricity around the place. Because it, br- it brings everything into a really tight perspective, doesn't mm. it? You know, this is the premier competition. You're getting the best teams now coming to the fore. If you look at City, John, uh, Pep Guardiola's made 
great pains to say, if we don't win any trophies this season, it's a failure. Do you think they will go without actually winning anything? I think they could do. I think th there's no doubt about it in my mind that Guardiola was brought in to, to almost take the final step in City in their development in their own minds of, of, of the World Super Club, if you like, really. And, and that's to put them on the Champions League stage. And I think the problem that, that sort of Guardiola almost has is obviously you're comparing it against last season, which in the semi-finals. And Guardiola, even before the Monaco game, was saying that basically you've got to be patient here. We're still a club in its infancy. Uh, look at the, the, the record of, of the club in the Champions League. We've not done very much. He's really trying to downplay expectation. I get that. I understand that. He's actually trying to sort of make it easier for himself. But I think there's an element there that actually he, he genuinely believes that. I think he's gone in there and perhaps been surprised, in my view, that he hasn't actually had more to work with. I think you are beginning to see the Guardiola philosophy take shape, particularly going forward. But I think he lacks so much in terms of defensive stability in midfield. Obviously, the fullbacks in particular, the goalkeeper has been a nightmare for him. I think there's so much more work to be done in terms of, of City and Guardiola. But, and I think obviously the title, in my opinion, is far too far away. But I think it's going to be difficult for him. It, it, it's, I can't really realistically see them winning the European Cup. I think the FA Cup is prob probably, arguably, their best opportunity for silverware, and I'm not sure that will be big enough for City. Mm. Yeah, we can see that, say that about <laughs> probably most of the, the last yeah, four. Yeah. What about City in terms of, you know, look, let's look at the positives. Sane has really introduced himself in the last, especially in the last sort of month or so, hasn't he? Was he the sort of player you saw coming through? Yeah, completely. I mean, I this is one thing that's been notable about yeah, City in the past few past, well, two months really more so, that this kind of younger crop of players, I mean, because some of the talk, even earlier in the season, was how, despite Guardiola coming in, they're still dependent on these key figures who are kind of coming past, I mean, even, even the fact that he brought back Yaya Toure, but now, with the way De Bruyne's come on, with the way Sterling has developed, with the way Sané has suddenly exploded, I mean, Sané is almost like a new, new signing in that sense, because the player we have now is completely different from the one we had in August, I think he's the one maybe to most benefited from how Guardiola works with him, I think John touched on it there, I mean, I think what I heard as well from the City was basically that Guardiola, he was a, bit, a little bit frustrated that some of the players weren't able to kind of understand what he wanted to do with them in the way kind of the Bayern players were, the Barcelona players were. So, so there was kind of a, it was going to require that, uh, not just that understanding or education that he had to give them, but also maybe more, more players more suited to him. But I think we are beginning to see that now. I mean, sometimes when they click, okay, not, maybe not so much in the Stoke game, you know, which had the misfortune, obviously, to be put against the Barca <laughs> match as well. But I think they, they, have, they have come on in the past two months. And I think if they're on form, they'll be difficult for any side in the Champions League to live with, even Barcelona, as we saw from the group stage. But um, I th you, you would still think they're a little bit short of, of, of the top three. Although I think the top three are more more vulnerable, like they, Real, Barca, Bayern, they're more vulnerable at any point in the last half decade or so. But in saying that, that's created, I think, what has actually been one of the best last 16 stages so far for, for years. I mean, if you think of the amount of storylines, actually, even even these uh, ties that we've come kind of used to a little bit bored by, like Bayern Arsenal, like PSG City, and they've created two of the biggest storylines of, of the season. Mm. Let's play City bingo for a bit, John. <laughs> How many players, Monaco players, will end up at the Etihad? <laughs> 
You've got about four or five to or, choose or from. Or Old Trafford as well. Or Old well, Trafford. Yeah, I do. I mean, I just think Monaco are rich pickings, aren't they? I mean, I do think they've slightly evolved as a, as a football club, but I mean, there's so wonderful, you know, talent. I mean, for me, I think Mbappe is, is clearly the most exciting young talent, yeah. young striker. Scored, scored again at the weekend. Absolutely. That I mean, the way that he kind of has got such power and the way that he can run from deep, deeper positions in bombing beyond. I mean, you saw that goal. I mean, I know it was horrendous defending in the first game, but when the ball goes through the middle and then he's run through, I mean, he's just, no one can catch him and no one can yeah. actually stop him because of his power and pace. I mean, the, the, the Thierry Henry um, comparisons are obvious and, and, and notable, but they're, they're clear, aren't they? Because he can, I think ultimately, will he move inside from, from playing out wide and wide of attack, if you like? He looks so adaptable. He can play through the middle. He will score goals. He frightens centre-halves to death. And he's just got absolutely everything. Their creativity um, through, through midfield. I mean, obviously, they're lacking, lacking defenders, but what they make up for. And I love the rebirth. I mean, I know he's not going to come back again, but Falcao has just been amazing. And I hope, obviously, that he, he, he plays and is a full part of it. Because I felt even at... We didn't see anything of him at Chelsea, but even there were odd games and glimpses I felt at Man United. I know it sounds crazy, but some of his movement, he didn't score the goals to obviously justify that, that sort of little bit of promise that he was coming back from his injury. He's still a special, special player. And what he actually gives them is that kind of focal point and almost the leadership um, to, to actually play off him. And, and the encouragement. He's, he's a great leader, I think, in a way. Do you see any other Monaco players ending up in the Premier League? Well, Silva's obviously the big one as well. Although you'd almost want to take him and Mappe as a package with the way they, they link up so often. Um, well, I think they're interesting in that sense, Monaco. I think they're probably, they've successfully done maybe what a few other a few Premier League clubs have tried to do and kind of, in an era where there's so much money, they've kind of gone, not the opposite direction, but trying to be so much cleverer about using the money. I mean, obviously they had that massive transformation in 2013 when they brought in Falcao, brought in James, that didn't really work, and now kind of looked basically to be kind of box cleverer than anyone else in Europe and get the, the best young players um, quicker than anyone while while still being competitive. So I mean, I think this this actually could be a, one of those teams that the Premier League looks at for the next for the next few years as to how they're doing it. Mm. Let's look at the other time, mm. Tuesday night. Um, will we see the good old days, i.e., last season, back again at Leicester? Oh yeah, I just think it was. It was ridiculous. I was at the Leicester-Liverpool game and having been to see previous Leicester games in, in, the, in the recent past before that, it was just like flicking a switch. I mean, I do find it somewhat embarrassing that, that basically the players have been able to do that. And I understand the sort of kind of misgivings and, um, you know, the, the complaints. And sometimes it's not ever as simple as that. But I think that the way the Leicester players have kind of had almost stopped playing, in my view, for Ranieri. There's a difference between basically that I think the, the players and no longer responding to a manager and a manager perhaps losing his edge. And the difference between that and there's a difference between the players actually not giving anything on the pitch. I thought they let themselves down, they let the club down, the fans down, because they didn't show a passion that you needed. And I think you can all see a desire, I think, now back in their play, which was sadly lacking for the last few months of this season. I think that atmosphere will be intimidating. I mean, Sevilla themselves have a wonderful stadium, brilliant mm. theatre, and it's a great place to go. It's one of the great cities and places that I've been to in sort of my European experience. And 
But I think that Leicester is it just when it ratchets it up, the contrast between Sevilla's away and home form is, is really noticeable. Leicester against all the odds are one goal away yeah. from the quarterfinals, and if they, I, I think you've got to say they've got a great chance and of doing that. The thing about that first leg, I got that first leg, and they were absolutely battered. I mean, it, it, that should have been five or six, really. But they, now they come away with a result that actually it looks even better. Also, Sevilla, there's been there's been a few signs lately that they're beginning to run a little bit of steam. It's, I think the way Sam Pauli plays, almost like. Bielsa and Pochettino tends to, and there can be a danger that because of all the energy they put in, they kind of they run out of it towards the end of the season. But the other side to this tie, actually, and not to get ahead of ourselves, there's been two similar cases of uh, English teams in Europe who have uh, changed manager and gone for kind of a caretaker figure. Um, that was 1982, Villa, Tony Barton, and Di Matteo, fe- February 2012. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not, not to say that last, right now, the last 16, when they need to get it back in the second leg, they're going to go and do it, but... I suppose just maybe the different circumstances just suddenly create a, you know, a different vibe of the team and a cup competition kind of takes on a life of its own in that sense. And you wonder even the fact that they should have been absolutely destroyed in that first leg whether they have that kind of, that kind of cup belief about them. But hang on, this, 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 this competition actually is running well, going well for us. Yeah, but Seville, OK, they've had two draws, second mm. one on, on uh, the weekend, one-one against Leganes, which, you know... Basically, they're preoccupied with relegation, so that was a, a heavy <laughs> result for them. So there is a chance that, that the momentum is, 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 is stopping at Seville. But if you look at the talent in that squad mm. and you look at the, the frailties in that Leicester defence, a bit like the Man City, mm. Monaco, uh, Man City uh, game, you're looking at that and thinking there's bound to be goals here on both sides. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the difference perhaps in, 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 in 2012 was as great as it was. And I remember a few managers obviously <laughs> suffered sort of kind of heartbreaking defeats in Champions League on more than a few occasions, looking at it jealously and saying, it is a cup competition. Yeah. It became almost yeah. the FA Cup in Europe. And, and it was bizarre. Was that there was still a proven quality running through that Chelsea team from kind of, Pick it whoever you want. Check and goal, obviously the hero of the of the final. Drogba up front. I mean, what a way to say goodbye. It's the best farewell from a club ever. Um, obviously the midfield packed with talent, and you know, Torres even scores that amazing goal in the new Camp, doesn't it? Everything came together, and that's my point about Leicester. While it's an amazing fairy tale, and I do slightly fancy them in this game simply because it's the margin of a goal because of the away goal. I'm not sure where they've got enough quality actually deep-seated within the squad to kind of go further because if they were up against a real big gun I just think they'd get overwhelmed in a similar way that Arsenal did with Bayern Munich to be honest. Sam Pauli was very dismissive of him after the first leg as well. Like it was actually, it's rare to hear a manager. Usually they're so much more diplomatic, but he was kind of, no, he was kind of, you know, scathing mm. with the quality of what they tried to do. Now again, he's, they, there's a possibility they could maybe catch Sevilla a little unaware, given that um, maybe Sevilla won't be prepared for the extended change that we've seen in Leicester. Although Sam Pauli is very studious himself, mm. um, but you you would think, given the pace that Sevilla play and how slow. A lot of that Leicester team team is behind. Obviously, they've got a main counter attackers in that sense. That they, they they should have maybe a bit too much uh, quickness for them. Mm, you you invoke the legends of Barton and, and Bobby <laughs> Di Matteo, Craig Shakespeare. Give me your take on him. He's been given the job till the end of the season. Is he a stopgap or is he something more? I suppose it depends how the season goes. I think for Leicester as a club, I think they even even. In the last month or so, they still want. Since Ranieri's gone, they still wanted a kind of bigger name. 
so you'd have to imagine to have any chance. It, it, it could be like a Di Matteo situation, but to have any chance of actually getting the job long term, you know, Shakespeare has to do something really substantial and not kind of just you know maybe get to the quarterfinals in Europe or or mid mid table. He's got to kind of really make a statement because beyond that, I think that they'll want a figure that they now see as you know being capable to bring the club on I, mean, I suppose that's the, the modern game Shakespeare is so respected by the players loved by them really you know and it's obviously done such a good job but for the club itself and what they want they want someone that's going to continue you know keep their flag very prominent on the map because most managers at the top clubs let's face it are, are vanity purchases yeah. you know Mourinho and Man United Pep mm. and City what about Arsene Wenger now we have to come to this every time we talk uh I gather that your sense is that he's digging in for the long haul and you think mm. he'll sign that two-year contract. Why? <laughs> because he ultimately wants to stay. If you'd asked me about two or three weeks ago, I would have said, I think there's a, there's a really good chance it'll go. And I still think that he might, because I think it would be wrong to say that basically something's set in stone that he's got to decide by such and such, because believe you me, he's already decided he wants to stay. But he also knows that I think deep within that if it goes completely into meltdown, they finish sixth or seventh, which is possible, and they and they go out in the semi-final, humiliated by Tottenham or Wembley or something. <laughs> I mean, an absolute nightmare for Arsenal that would be. Is it basic? He knows, I think, that it would just be impossible, I think, to, to thrive and succeed again. It's almost like, people were telling me last week that the yeah, I mean, I think that this is Chip Keswick's statement was a good thing to do because it took the focus off him a little bit. But I think the expectation is still there that basically he's got to re-energise himself and basically also show that even at 67 years of age, he's able to rebuild a squad, I think, with so many doubts and question marks over it. You'll probably lose Ozil in the summer, I fear. And then also, almost certainly, Sanchez. Obviously, Chamberlain might go as well. And there's all sorts of doubts, you know, about floating around. And I think it's a huge, huge job of work. And I'm not sure that Wenger really could succeed in a, in a really stale, difficult atmosphere. And again, I, I get the sense that the club are aware of this. And I still think the likelihood is that it will stay. But I think there's a doubt there, both in his mind and the club's mind, and it will be, I think, a mutual decision. I think, as I say, I think the likelihood is 60-40 probably that he'll stay. But I, I get the sense that if it's really difficult, it's time to go. Yeah, I, I get the sense that we've almost reached the point of no return on this. When you've, you've got you know, 75% of the fans against you, it's a, it's a running sore, isn't it? Yeah. And also, even just to touch on what John said there, if, if Ozil and Sanchez do go, and at least one of them will... Does Wenger, does Wenger himself even have the kind of the resolve and, and energy at this point to kind of, given everything he's fighting right now to actually because he, he will have to rebuild the team given he's, he's losing his most influential two most influential players if they go so if that happens does he have it within him to kind of attract players to kind of to to build up again or would that be the point where he goes well you know I, I suppose underneath all this is that ultimately Wenger's a man I suppose can he imagine his life without the day to day of football. And with it, with it the day to day of Arsenal, because even if he were to say go to PSG or whatever, that would be so. Um, is that log is that when I, it's logical that you go to PSG? But is it realistic? Um, I'm not, I know that I was talking to a few people in Spain, and they were kind of the, the, the vibe there was always, was always he had his chance a decade ago, and now they kind of they, they look to, to younger 
younger man, particularly Barcelona. And Barcelona are always quite uh, um, counterintuitive with that sort of thing anyway. Like even the fact that this summer they'll probably go for the Valver- Valverde, the Atletico Bilbao manager, rather than, than San Paoli, who would, you would think is the obvious choice. Uh, PSG, though, I, I mean... They're still quite a, like in a similar way to City. They're quite a, a nascent European club as well. That they don't have that legacy. They're just trying to figure things out. Um, although their defence of the coach after after the, the defeat to Barca was interesting, and that they did seem quite strong behind because the, the expectation that night was that he hasn't got long left. Um, now, you know, <laughs> it could suit all parties for Wenger to go there next season. Get 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 his, get his tilt at the. Uh, the Champions League as well because it's one of the most amazing things about his career as well that he's never won a European trophy mm. let's look at um, you know the big, biggest game of the weekend is, is City and Liverpool mm. um, if we are right that we've got basically Arsenal Liverpool and Manchester United going for that fourth place uh, where are Liverpool in that equation they really struggled a bit against Burnley didn't they yeah they did but I thought getting that result would, I mean, you'd rather have points on the board, and that's the one thing. Even though they've played more games now, they've got those points on the board. And I think as the games stack up, for particularly, I think for almost for United, it's so important now because I do feel that, as, as you say, I think it's almost become Tottenham are slightly pushing themselves on to, Man City as well in, in, in Chelsea's slipstream, and I think it will come down to. To, to those other teams sort of pushing on. I wonder about Liverpool and their kind of... I think it's a big, big game for them because I think Liverpool... I mean, their results since the turn of the year have been catastrophic and yet they've lifted themselves for to beat Arsenal and to beat Tottenham in, in good style, particularly the Tottenham game, um, really convincingly. And, and they had to win ugly against Burnley but their record against the other top six teams uh, in amongst them is amazing absolutely it's, it's what is it 19 out of 27 and it's it's astonishing and it's so impressive and it could again it, that that holds the key and they seem to be able to and Klopp will be wondering why his players can lift themselves for the big games and not the smaller ones as is illustrated again arguably against Burnley almost even though they got the result and that will be his biggest frustration but it's so tight at the moment in that in that mix-up that you basically couldn't afford to lose a game, see Arsenal or United win, and then make up ground because it is so tight at the top and it would be desperate to avoid defeat. But their record against their direct rivals is fabulous. Mm. Let's look at the top six, Migs. If all the top six were able to field their strongest team, now I know that's you know, cloud cuckoo land to a degree, <laughs> Would Liverpool be the weakest of that top six? Um, in terms of the quality of the players, maybe, maybe actually, yeah. Because Spurs, because Spurs, I suppose, I often think kind of Spurs almost decide kind of getting the best, you know, bang for their buck in that sense. Because I think it's not necessarily they're lacking quality, but it is a younger team, kind of a growing team, and he's kind of got them performing above themselves. But then they do have two kind of like Kane is already, you would say, world class striker. Deli Alli's on the way there and they do have a very strong defence whereas there's more kind of Liverpool all feels a bit more improvisational in that way um, and also who, who's probably Liverpool's standout star Coutinho maybe he's, he's had a uh, exactly, wobbly patch exactly. you, you, you still, you still like you still wonder I suppose you'd almost say that he has to kind of do more consistently to, re, to really even get to that kind of Kane level Um so yeah, I think that they probably would be actually, yeah, because because all all the rest of the top six, it's 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 a bit more depth, but they've also got a kind of 
proper top quality stars. Whereas Liverpool, I mean, if you're looking through the team, when Alden has come on, to be fair, but they're quite front loaded in terms of their quality. Mm. We mentioned Kane. How mm. big a blow is it that you know it's looking that that's a bad injury, a you know, recurrence of that ankle injury? What does that do to Spurs in their season? It's, it's a massive blow, a huge disappointment for them. I think the one bit of comfort they could take was, was obviously, I know it's Millwall, but basically the way that they actually played after he, he'd gone off. Basically, Son is such a good, adaptable player. That Three of those goals were fantastic. Fabulous. And he, he, he's great, Son, in that basically, I think he can play across the front in those positions. Earlier in the season when, when Kane was out, and I know Tottenham struggled for goals, um, when he was missing for, for, for a period of time. He was really good up front and he played really, really well. And again, I think he can do that role and I feel sure that they will turn to Son through the middle rather than sort of looking at Janssen and trying to make that work because not for me, I don't think that, that happens. But I wouldn't say that Spurs in any way can replace Kane. Absolutely not. Kane's brilliant. But in a way, they'll have to play in a different way and with the movement perhaps of, of Ericsson prompting Deli Alley, for a period of time, actually, sort of, they've been great form Spurs, and their form has been even better when when Deli Alley has almost played as the second striker. He's almost played as almost as auxiliary number nine alongside Kane, um, and he's been absolutely fabulous. So I think they've got options. I don't think their season will collapse, but Kane is so reliable for them that when they've been struggling to to get goals or break teams down or break games down. Kane's always propped up and that's when they'll miss him when the going gets tight in the running. Mm. I'm sure they're already printing up the T-shirts. You know, I was there when Vincent Janssen scored from <laughs> open play. But it's obvious that Pochettino doesn't fancy him yeah. or even Sissoko to a degree. When you've got that lack of managerial trust, what does that do to a player's head? Well, this is it. I mean... I suppose it, it depends on the player, really, because some, some players maybe would just be motivated, I'm going to show him, and others just kind of will kind of, they, they, it'll, it'll downhearten them. It'll mean when, when they go on the pitch, they don't have to get a full belief themselves because they know, but what, what, am I, what am I doing here? I mean, I'm kind of on a hiding to nothing in that sense. Um, I mean, to be honest, with the Soko thing, you can kind of you can understand the signing because he still does that, you, you can see what he's capable of, and there's that power, and that power suits the way Spurs play. But what's so odd with Janssen now is that, he, other than maybe if he was one of those players to come on for 10 minutes, maybe he can kind of launch the ball to, he just doesn't seem to fit with, how, with what Spurs do. Because uh, he, he slows down the play so much. I think that's why they'll really miss Kane in that sense. Because well, I think sometimes with, with the way Pochettino plays, it's so, when they're at their best, it's so frenetic and so high energy that it just tends to kind of pinball around the box. Normally kind of just battering teams in submission. But they almost lack that little bit of precision. What Kane does then is that he offers different type of runs. I think that's why he's so he scored one, one reason he scores so many because his runs are so ha- hard to track, and because suddenly he just appears out of nowhere, slips the ball in, and you know all, all of Spurs's um, you know pounding of defence has that purpose and precision. Then I think that's what they miss. And obviously, y- y- Janssen doesn't give you anything like that. Mm. Let's look at Manchester United, John. Um, do you expect them to go through in the Europa League against Rostov this week? Yeah, I do. I think I like the way that Mourinho's taken it quite seriously. It's a real bugbear of mine that basic English clubs don't, generally, because I think it's a competition now not to be sneezed at. It's, a, a, again, a passport into the Champions League if you win it. Um, and I, I felt just looking at that at that first first leg that they would do it, and part of the, part of the issue that was perhaps the pitch, and I, I do think they'll, they'll go through. They've got the away goal, so I would expect them to do it. I think at the moment it is a balancing act for United because they've got 
Monday, Thursday, Sunday. And the more Mourinho talks about it and complains about it, the more it's in the players' heads. Mm -hmm. So he's got to find a, 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 a difficult balance between kind of making an issue and trying to embarrass people, and they do deserve to be embarrassed, because why on earth is this game on the Monday night? It's obviously TV, and I get that. Mm. I'm sorry, but we don't help our teams in, in the Europa League. It's, it's a disgrace, what, mm. basically, sometimes. It, we, we don't... They could have given them an extra 24 hours and, and reshuffled it. I understand TV schedules, but please, don't make another TV documentary questioning why English clubs then don't do better in Europe, because you're part of the problem. And, I, you know, it's a frustration of mine. And I do think that the Europa League, I think, has been given a nice new birth. You know where it is on a Thursday night. And I think it's quite exciting. I also think that if United can get through this, and I think they will, quarterfinals comes, and George, Jose Mourinho has been talking about this, you can suddenly see a passage. United, I think, will fancy against themselves against anyone left in that competition once the quarterfinals come. Yeah, you look at that. Olympic Lyon, maybe you know they're four two ahead yeah. against uh, Roma. And, and speaking of which, um, you know Memphis Depay scores from sort of about ninety yards yesterday. He's absolutely playing at his top. Well, can can United swallow their pride and maybe even invoke that buyback? Clause? I mean, you'd wonder. What was so impressive about that um, about that strike as well was the power he got into it, given the kind of the, sh the, the short lift back he had as well. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was amazing. But I mean. I suppose I just I was thinking about it yesterday when I when I saw the goal. You do see that with some players, just for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out at a certain club, um, and they're almost kind of written off. But then just because of the right circumstances, and maybe also because of the challenge, because they haven't done it when they got that big move. I mean, another, another classic United case that way is Diego Forlan, one of, one of the most obvious. Um, but you know, it could be it could yet be an interesting little sting to the season if United play a Leon with Memphis in, in that kind of form. But just even on that with the Europa League, I think for all the debate about Mourinho and where he is as a manager now and how United should be doing. I think one, th one of the things that is really still admirable about him is how much he values the kind of the, the flavour of winning a trophy and what that does for players, how it helps, how it helps them kick on. I think that is to be respected. Mm -hmm. But are some of his antics, you know, are we beyond now the sort of mind games that he's trying to play with Conte you know, in the context of the FA Cup game but also in the wider sense of, you know, look at me, I wasn't so bad at Chelsea, was yeah. I? Well, this, I mean, it's interesting that Conte hasn't really wanted, wanted a bite at all. Uh, although I do, I've heard a few murmurs that if, they, if Chelsea do win the title, he might have a little bit of a buyback. And on Friday, actually, when Mourinho's constant point about how, you know, oh, suddenly counter-attacking football is fashionable, uh, we asked Conte about it on Friday. And he didn't, he didn't mention Mourinho by name, he didn't want to get into a war or anything like that, but he did make a really impassioned defence. No, I never, ever, ever play counter-attacking football. Um, and there is a little bit of that with some of Mourinho's antics in that sense, and you kind of think, oh, we've, we've heard this before now, come on, give, give, give us something a bit new. Because we all, we all know the deal. Yeah. With Mourinho, are you, being bored, are you bored by him this season? Oh, not really. I do, I do think, uh, well, rightly says he's a, he is a winner. I know it's a dusted down the old cliche. But I love that his desire to win, and he's, you know, sets it up straight from, 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 from the FL trophy, and... I just think straight away, you know, in trying to win the League Cup, I think setting it out that he wants to win the Europa League, I do think he's sort of almost giving him a bit of an excuse, himself an excuse about the FA Cup, which is unusual for him. But I do think it's... I think earlier in the season I was a bit bored of him, really, and I thought he'd had his day. But I've got to say, I've been really impressed in the way that he's come back in the last couple of months. 
I know that it's sort of United still stuck in sixth. It doesn't really, if you look at the table, it doesn't really make as, as if they've sort of kind of made that much progress. But I just think he's building again. And I think they're going to be quite a force next season. And I think he's he's just got his eyes on, on, on the prize, really. And I think if he can, if he foregoes the FA Cup to go and win the Europa League, gets in the Champions League and finishes it with a Champions League place, at the very least, whether that's top four, and then, you know, two trophies. What a season. What an amazing season. And that kind of perpetuates the, the whole special one myth again. Mm. Will that be enough to keep Zlatan? You know, there's a lot of talk about LA Galaxy, $12 million contract. Oh, sorry, 12 million euro uh, contract. Will he stay or will he go? But interesting, I was talking to a Swedish journalist for that reason. He said one of the big things you have to consider with Zlatan actually is not, it's not just about his football career anymore. It's about his actually commercial career. And that's why coming to United was so big for him. Not just, obviously, he's done so well on a football sense. Well, they made the same selling uh, point to Pogba, didn't they? Yeah, 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 exa exactly. And it, so, I mean, it, his, his brand and all his commercial interests have taken a bump out of that. So, obviously, the next step is America because, I mean, it, it's, it's such a massive market in itself. So, I, I, th I think there could be a lot on that. Uh, my gut would still be, I think... Because he's got something to offer, and, almost, and you can see it himself, he's got that, that personal pride. And while he can still compete, I think he, he'd want to... Because uh, uh, I think, to be honest, I, I have to say, I was uh, a little bit expecting this sort of season to be, uh, you know, 10 goals from Zlatan, maybe four against Hull or something like that. But he hasn't. He's been, uh, he's been so consistent. And, he's, and, he, and I think United have really needed him because he's offered them that kind of almost physical mature assurance that they might have otherwise lacked. Mm. What about Rooney? I can see him in mm. the, ending up in the States. Yeah, I just feel that if Rooney goes to the States or to China, that's it for his England career. And we might be thinking that's it for his England career already. But I do feel that he thinks in his own mind that he's got something to offer. He's been so clear that he'll retire from England duty after the 2018 World Cup. I think he's got to make a massive decision. I don't know whether he could actually make it work at Everton. It would take some serious number crunching, because players don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, I think that I don't know. Players don't go for free. Do they? No. Don't don't go for the good of their health, basically. And he'll want a contract, a serious contract. But I, I think that Rooney, I don't think Rooney, no, no, under no circumstances, will be at United next season. But it's making that next career choice. There's no doubt about it in my mind that he had the opportunity to go to China before that that window shut in February. Mm -hmm. He's clearly taken a look at it and thought, it's not for me. Well, what's that telling you? To me, it's saying to me that he wants to preserve his Premier League status, but much more importantly, his, his ability to go and beat Peter Shilton's England record. Yeah. I think that means the world to him. Do you, what do you, what's your take on the way Ronald Koeman is, is rebuilding um, Everton? He's putting his own stamp on it very slowly. You know, you've got that youth project, if you like, yeah. Lookman coming in. Um, Ross Barclay, he slaughtered him in his early days, but now he'd be really behind him, saying he's playing very well between the lines, you know, impressing further forward. What about Ross Barclay as a key England player? Does that add up to you? Yeah, it's, I mean, he's got the talent, and he, all, all he has needed is that kind of application. I mean, in terms of Koeman in that sense, I, I, to be honest, even when he did well, as it happened last season, I was a little bit um, wary of kind of maybe praising him too much, because he, he has had a very patchy career. But I remember just before the Euro, I was talking to Shane Long um, when he was on Ireland duty, and he, he was talking about just how much, what really stood out with Koeman was just how much he worked on his individual game with him, and just the kind of that, 
that insight from being an ex-player, particularly going one of the top set of halves. I think that he's that's what he's very good at with, with the with, with with young players that he can give them that that weight that weight of experience, that weight of insight. I think it, it's worked in a number of ways with, with Barkley in that sense. Um, and I suppose the the biggest thing he's done with Everton, even beyond improving players like that, is giving them that uh, defensive stability that was. Uh, not exactly there last season. Mm. With England, you know, the squad's named on Thursday. Mm. Uh, it's going to be a difficult squad mm. for him to name. You've got fixtures right up until you know, 72 hours before they play Germany. Will we see a big squad and maybe with some new names in? Yeah, I think we'll see a few experiments. I think we'll also see a squad that's named and then absolutely depleted yeah. <laughs> after Sunday. It's so bad, the timing, because basically you've got the Super Sunday, you've kind of got great fixtures, and we're, that's what we want to see at this stage of the season, isn't it? Let's mm. be a nice kid ourselves. You want to kind of see the, the big games, and it's incredibly exciting. And at the moment, it feels like England in Germany is almost a bit of an afterthought. Unfortunately, if he calls up, and he's naming it on Thursday, as you say, he calls them up, I think you'll see a lot of withdrawals and, and kind of losing some already. I mean, you've seen two members of the spine of that team gone, and basically Harry Kane and Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson's already been ruled out. So where do you go? I mean, I don't know what actual benefit that Gareth Southgate will get from that Germany game. And that's why I think you'll suddenly see kind of a few call-ups. I'd like to see kind of, you know, Michael King get another opportunity. Um, Nathan you know, Redmond. Nathan Redmond, absolutely. I think he's played really, really well. And he's an interesting player because he's not just a winger. He can sort of come inside, he can sort of tuck in, he could be wide of the front three, if you like, playing in that role. And I just feel that you'll see such an experimental team, not just the squad in Germany, whether that's a good thing or not. Because basically, just to break it down, you get the one training session on the Monday, none of the players from the big teams then playing on Sunday will be involved. They'll just do a warm down, they'll report up. The only full training session ahead of Germany you'll get is on the Tuesday. And then also you've got a huge World Cup qualifier, whether we like it or not, which has to be bigger in Southgate's mind on the Sunday at Wembley. So he's got to prioritise. That's why I think it's going to be all over the shop this England week. So we don't give our international footballers a chance. Well, this is, and you do wonder maybe if there should be a rearrangement of the calendar that way. Like, why, why not make the club season two, two weeks shorter so there's no international interruptions between, you know, coming? Because as you said, I mean, it's just. Just when the season's building up, just in the Champions League, it kind of there's been all the these storylines to it. You get a sense for the title races, and then suddenly away, away to for, not not even qualifiers, but you know some friendlies that kind of that probably not even the players want too much. And you do wonder maybe they could have shortened the season club-wise, or, or maybe basically use this to, to take two weeks off the end. Then give more time for internationals and that creates maybe more of an event about internationals in the summer as well it's, it's just it, it, it is odd timing that sense it's kind of just underwhelming timing. you're just kind of feeling that <laughs> we're, going, we're going from all this excitement to then something that hang on why, why do we care about this at this point again mm. international breaks are usually mm. the, the graveyard of, of football <laughs> managers now you know if you look at what's going on in the championship three managers gone in four, four uh, days that's carnage will panic set in Middlesbrough, for instance. You know, they're playing Man United um, at the weekend. Karanka hasn't been impressive. His team can't score for love nor money. Are we going to get a panic button press there? Well, I think history tells us that, that the one thing that um, Steve Gibson at Middlesbrough doesn't do is panic. And I think he's there was a lot of, a lot of kind of rumours and whispers 
a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there? That mm. I think if Middlesbrough lost, then they'd be they'd, he'd be done for, and he hasn't been. Which I think I, I kind of respect that view. But where it worries me is not just about where Middlesbrough's next result is going to come from; it's where their next goal is going to come mm. from. Cranker is a very strong, authoritative figure. I think he's clearly he's now got to be questioned as to whether he can kind of get those players galvanised and working together again to kind of get any upsurge in form. A couple of weeks ago, I thought Bournemouth were, were, were on the slide and were probably going to fall into it. And yet, actually, now suddenly, they've salvaged themselves with a really morale-boosting draw at Man United and then a win over West Ham. It shows you that the, the, it can turn around so quickly. That's why I tend to think that Actually, massive credit to Gibson. He will stick with Karanka for, for the short term at least. I don't know quite much how, how much longer he's got because, make no mistake about it, he is on thin ice. But I just think the reason that he's stuck with him so far is he's incredibly loyal and he's seen other results and other teams turn it around very quickly. There's been a lot of chuntering about Slavin Bilic after that defeat at, at Bournemouth. I tend to think that's quite unfair. Mm -hmm. But something's going on at West Ham, isn't there? Yeah, and I suppose they're still kind of... Well, it's been such a strange season in general because if you remember, in October, November, they seem like the kind of the, the crisis club. I think Billich has done well to stabilise it through that, especially since... Um, especially throughout the whole Dimitri Payet thing. But the one where I remember talking to someone close to City again, when they battered uh, West Ham twice in, kind of in, in, in short space of time, I said they generally found them the easiest side, to, and not, not just because of the score, obviously, but in terms of how they were able to kind of move through them, they found West Ham the easiest side to play against. And it is odd like that, because last season, was still one of the most impressive things about West Ham Village was how how many results he took off the top sides, how well they could have reacted to the top sides. But then you'd see them against someone, like I remember being on one of the worst games that last season, which is Sunderland West Ham in January, I think it was just when Allardyce was kind of starting to impose himself on Sunderland, and it was an awful game. And West Ham just couldn't, they couldn't seem to get going at all. And they, they do seem a side almost like with a little bit of lacking a bit of a football identity in that sense. Mm. Bournemouth uh, got Swansea this weekend. Mm. Now, two, two things here. Paul Clement has turned that club around in terms of just he's almost recreate the culture overnight there but secondly let's look at also Bournemouth at, there's a lot of resentment about the punishment that Tyrone Mings has had from mm. that contra trauma Old Trafford is that a potential rallying point for them as well because they do feel hard done by they do and <laughs> mixed views on this I, don't, I, I actually think that he I think the FA had to take a stand on it. And I know people say, well, how come about Zlatan's elbow as compared to, to the five games? But it's, it's all about kind of, it's the act itself rather than the intent. But I do think that sometimes that kind of rallying together and bringing together can have a massive effect. I think it's been a really testing season for Eddie Howe, mm. who sort of kind of, Sat on the throne as the, as the as the you know the new boy base. king absolutely yeah, yeah. and you know he's not, I mean he's supposed to be a next England boss supposed to be next Arsenal boss and this season has just checked it basically and I always think the second season is so much harder and that's what it is effectively in Premier League terms for Eddie Howe and I think to kind of steady the ship and if he can use that to kind of galvanise Mings let's be honest isn't one of his absolute mainstays and wouldn't be the first go Josh King's man. done fantastically right. well recently hasn't he yeah completely yeah I'm just well, I mean, just it's what he gives them that little bit more kind of bite about them. I think that was, the, I mean, talking about teams that are easy to play against. I think that's what Bournemouth have been come, have become for about two months there. That they're just kind of just you know, trying to do what they do, 
they were just it was all just a bit soft. Whereas now they, they do have that buyback, and King's been key to that. Mm. And what about Wilshire, Jack Wilshire, player you know well, John? Mm. How do you see his future mapping out? I don't think he'll be at Bournemouth, and I think he's. I mean, he's coming out now. Fifteen months left. I, I, I'm not sure that I think people see that he's been playing, and kind of think, oh, he's he's back to his best. I've seen him have some good games, and I've seen him have some pretty, you know, average, disappointing games. Really, it'll be interesting to see where Arsenal go from here. And I think something of that will depend on Cazorla, and where where Cazorla is in terms of recuperation and rehabilitation. I know they're slightly worried about him being fit for the start of next season, so that's that's a slight issue. And you need someone like Wilshire to set the tempo, but I don't know whether Wilshire has done enough in in that period of time to think make people think that kind of he's he's I wouldn't say worth a gamble. But if he were a free agent this summer, then the club big clubs would be queuing up around the block to sign him. There's no doubt about it. But because he's obviously still got 12 months left, Arsenal wouldn't let him go for, for buttons and they might actually still think he's part of their plans they'd want a big fee and it's, for me you cannot pay a big fee on what we are still looking at which is potential there's so much talent there but that kind of the whole long running injury and the, and the doubt will make people think twice and Pep loves him well, I say, loves could him. he do a job for City um, the one thing maybe Jack Wilshere two three years ago but the one thing does he have the kind of is he still able to kind of pass at the same pace? Or kind of more, more so kind of in, in the way that kind of city teams require, pep teams require to get that, that quick evasion of a defender and then get keep the play moving. Because the one thing I noticed with Wilshire repeatedly over the last two or three seasons at Arsenal is that when he when he suddenly go past a player, he used to always have the burst about him. But the amount of times he was kind of going down now, either kind of you know a little bit of kind of buying the foul, or else just because he couldn't get away from defenders properly. I think he has maybe lost that little bit of zip. But I I, I do. I, I, I'm not sure he's kind of st- still at that level he, w- he would be for City. Mm. So, speaking of City, let's uh, end where we started and the Champions League. It's a simple question. How many English clubs in the last eight? None, one or two? I'm going to go super optimistic and I'm going to go two. Next? I'll say one. Um, I waver on Leicester a lot because I think, the, I think tomorrow's going to be a proper event. Severe, well, I think Sevilla might just have too much about them. I think about. I think City will get through though. I'm with Miguel. City yes, Leicester no. The Premier League is great entertainment, but let's be honest, it doesn't have a great team. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.